0: Here we go. That's right. They can have my body, but they can't have my mind. <laughs> they can have my body, but they can't have my mind, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> Stick around for this one. Ian and I just finished recording the greatest Tropical NBA podcast of this week. We talk about free ticket giveaways, how three or four sentences can change your life, and what would happen if you called us for business coaching. All that and more coming up. Let's roll it. Happy Thursday morning, everybody. Welcome back to the Tropical NBA podcast. Welcome back to the podcast, boss man. Yo, what's going on? How are you doing? All right, here. I've got some announcements at the top regarding our D.C. Mexico event coming up in Playa del Carmen at a luxurious resort in May.
1: You know they have pools that connect to the bedrooms? I do. You could just swim out of your living room there.
0: Yeah, you're about 100 yards from a bar. Uh, you just have to traverse multiple waterfalls. But it's doable. It's totally doable. <laughs> uh, one of the things we recently put on the social medias is a contest Soliciting speakers for that event. We say, Hey, we got a speaker coach. We got a bunch of amazing attendees, over 200 attendees. We would love to invite an outside speaker. Does anybody want to come join us? Bring your story to the fold. And we got over 200 applications. And so I pulled together all these applications in a Google document and I gave them to the event team because I just didn't want to influence the outcome. I just wanted to see what they came up with. And I'm so happy with the two speakers, they came to me and they said, Dan, these are our two favorite applications out of 200. And so I want to announce them here on the show for the first time publicly. Congratulations to Catherine Lavery. She is the founder of Best Self Co. And I can hit a tennis ball over to her house. She's my neighbor, basically, which is super cool. And I wanted to mention that I did not pick her. (laughs) The team picked her, and I was just delighted to see It's a chance to get to know Catherine better and to share her story with our audience. I think she's such a great fit. They also selected John Doherty, I think is how you say it. And he is somebody I've been following on Twitter. I've listened to his pod. So I'm a fan of both of these speakers. I don't know if the team was channeling that or what, but they saw their bios. They dug into the messages they've been sharing. And they said, these two, they're going to be a great fit for what dc are looking for. They're bootstrapped. They're hustlers. They're open. They're honest. They're willing to talk about the positives and negatives of running their business. That's what we're looking for at DC events. And so congratulations to those two. We're so excited to welcome you into the DC fold. Interesting story. John is a DC'er. So that wasn't like part of the application. You know, they just saw this application and thought, man, this is going to be a great speaker for the event. So pretty cool.
1: Well, for a little bit of context, when you posted that, People are like, why don't you have DCers
0: speak at the event?
1: We do. Every single event, it's all DCers. Yeah, 100% Um, of speakers are DCers. (laughs) And now there's one exception, Catherine. Even John's a DCer. I think actually Catherine has an account because I looked the other day. So (laughs) at at some point, she was a DCer. (laughs) But anyways, I thought it was a really fun thing to do, Dan. It was one of these moments where I got to see all those applications. And I was like, wow, there's a lot of really interesting people out there that have great stories to tell.
0: Super, super cool. Hey, Ian, one more thing. I want to do something fun. I'm feeling so much community spirit around this DC Mexico event. I want to give away one free ticket to a listener listening right now. Here is the deal. I love it when you don't run things by accounting. I I talked to the CFO. I went to the CFO. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Here we go. You get out your calculator. It's not that crazy of a giveaway. It is a free membership for 90 days to the Dynamite Circle. That's a $600 value. And a free ticket to D.C. Mexico. That is $1,000 ticket ballpark. Okay, we're going to give this away free to one listener who applies. Here are the qualifications. You must have $100,000 in revenue and at least one other person involved in your business, like a freelancer, a contractor, an employee. The next thing, There's going to be a little sentence in the application. Let us know why coming to this event might make a difference for you. And this giveaway is designed for somebody who needs a push in a positive direction. If you're rich and successful and balling out, don't apply for this. This is for someone who's maybe having a little bit of a tough year, wondering what the next move is. We want to put our money where our mouth is. We believe coming to events like this is an incredible way to find support, to figure out that next step and to get inspired by people a little bit further along. So if you got your $100,000 of revenue and you're looking for that next move and you're wondering whether this business is going to make it or not, we'd love to invite you down to Mexico to hang out with us. It's going to be super fun. Swim around in those waterfalls a little bit, give you some business inspiration. Click through on your listening device. There will be an application and we will select one winner for that ticket giveaway in the coming weeks.
1: Approved. Would it have been so hard to run that by the team first? I mean, now that you say it, it sounds great. It's approved. But you could have checked first.
0: <laughs> I'm not going to like press my luck and give away a resort stay. You know, the, the, <laughs> if it's your first couple years of business, the accommodations in Playa are extremely affordable. The flights are affordable. So the overall expenses, we're taking the big chunk out of it for you. Buy the event ticket there. Okay, next thing Before we jump into the business content, Ian, a super exciting launch just a few days ago, I'm seeing a bunch of ticket receipts come through for DC Black Barcelona. Last week, DC Black Barcelona did not exist. This week, it exists. Scoop us. What's the story?
1: This is probably like an incredibly bad personal decision because basically, (laughs) we are bringing 50 seven and eight figure founders to my favorite city on the planet. So prices are going to go up. That's my guess. Is like a lot of people like us are going to fall in love with it. They're going to take my Airbnbs. They're going to take my co-working spots. But the good news is that they're going to be filled with people that I like. and yeah. that, that I enjoy hanging out with. So that's the good news. We launched DC Black uh,
0: Barcelona last week. We sold like over 25 tickets in less than 36 hours. It's crazy. Crazy. Because they're not cheap. And what's just really amazing about that is there's only 100 people who have access to even buy the tickets. So... Really cool to see some early momentum for these DC Black-specific events. It's exciting.
1: I think we're going to have a great summer, man. We ran our first DC Black event in New York City in December. And I just thought it was a great time. You know, Collectively, there was over $100 million in revenue in that room. And I look through the list of everybody that's coming to Barcelona, and it's already over that. So just think about that for a second. This is blowing my mind. Maybe it's just my mind. But it's very difficult to get yourself in a room with nine figures in revenue. Collectively, the amount of experience, talent, war stories in that room over three days. I think that's like the
0: fastest way to accelerate your business is to be in a room yeah. like that. So that's what we've created in Barcelona. Super cool. That's exciting. You know, if I were to think of one food item that DC Black Barcelona reminds me of, Ian, I know what you'd think. You'd think I'm going to say, hum on. But wait, wait, not. is alcohol food? <laughs> <laughs> What I was thinking is, um, do you know how long it takes to make a pho broth? No. Basically 12 hours. And the concept, because I was watching television the other night, the concept is to both get clarity in your broth and flavor. You have to simmer it for a long time. And that shows love. And that's why the best pho is always cooked by grandmothers. And that's how that works. I like where you're going with this. This DC Black Barcelona is our fa, Because we stepped foot in Barcelona in 2014. And we took a little gander around the beaches and the mountains and the beautiful city. And we said to ourselves, let's start to simmer this thing. This thing, there's value here. <laughs> and so we've been going there every summer. We've been inviting our friends. We've been making incredible connections. And when it came time to build an event concept... We say, this broth is clarified. This is flavorful. It's ready to go. Like you said, let's invite our entrepreneurial friends into what has been such a big part in our life over the past decade. So I'm really excited to do it. This is a big, long joke about that. I agree with you. I think Barcelona is an incredible magic place, and I'm excited to see what this event looks like there in the city of Barcelona.
1: Well, it was between West Virginia and Barcelona. And uh, <laughs> ultimately, we picked uh, Barcelona.
0: Yeah, you tried to piss off our West Virginia listenership. This is a nice place <laughs> in the summer. <laughs> All right. Ian, I had an incredible experience this week. Hundreds of people are applying to our podcast producer role. And you'd think I'd be thinking about the podcast, but I wasn't. What I was thinking about is how three or four sentences. Can change your life. And why is it so hard to generate three or four sentences? I'm looking at all these applications and I'm seeing incredible careers, incredible resumes, huge salaries, all this stuff. But I read three or four sentences and I'm like, nope, not a good fit. Nope, not a good fit. I can tell right away. And I think this applies to so many things. Can we persuade our customers? Can we persuade our potential dream employers? Can we have a decent dating profile? All these three or four sentence moments that can change our lives. And I walked away from this process thinking, my goodness, writing is so valuable in businesses, especially internet businesses, especially, especially internet businesses that are remote. Because I believe writing is thinking. And that if you write well, you're thinking well, you can connect with people, you can persuade them, you can get the job, you can get the date. You can get the customer. And I just thought it was so interesting to see that go well and go poorly, to get the interview, to not get the interview, and that it happens across all of our desks every day.
1: Have you seen the three sentences yet, Dan, that have basically read in maybe even fewer words, I need to be on this payroll? (laughs) That one always just like comes right through. The writing is just like, I see what's going on here.
0: <laughs> I, I wrote down some of these reflections on looking at these things. Number one, I think people grossly underestimate how much time it takes to write well. Straight up. And it's something that we struggle with internally with the team. It's like this needs more hours of your energy and clear thinking. Spend more time because it's important. Three to four sentences one way, it's yes. Three to four sentences the other way, it's a no. And by the way, these are seasoned executive producers that have worked on shows that you know about, big, long applications, three to four sentences, we know if it's a fit or not. And everybody, I think, listening to this can resonate with this, right? Like, you see people, the way they signal, the way they've approached it indicates to you that they don't understand something important about it, which is to say they haven't thought enough about it. And that's the beauty of writing. It helps you to think about things. That's why it takes time. I wrote a 200 word email.
1: Well, it was a little bit more than 200 words. It took me like three hours yesterday. Sales email, of course. That checks out. But that's how long it takes, right? It's like every single word in that email has to be placed perfectly according to what you think is going to work, right? And then you do it and it doesn't work. And then you recalibrate or whatever, but really does take that long. So you're like, hey, I got to put aside a, a couple days to write a sales page. A couple days? Just sell it, right? No. It really takes a couple days to write this stuff
0: down. Yeah. And part of the reason for that is I always think of writing as like, I don't do this often. So maybe I'll mess up the metaphor, but ironing a shirt. I've done this a few times in my life. Twice. Yes. There's a wrinkly sleeve and you take the iron over it and mine are really wrinkly. So you have to keep going over it and it takes a while. Then you got to spritz a little steam and the water on it and it's all that stuff. And you're going over it multiple times. That's the three hours. I think of this smoothing out those words because every crease is an opportunity for your reader to get hung up about your meaning. Yeah. And this is what takes time, is really clarifying your thoughts. So that's the first thought. They don't understand how long it takes. I wrote down here, good writing is good thinking. and Good writing generates new ideas. If you're having trouble getting your head around something, if there's anything in your life, you're having trouble getting your head around, sit down and write about it. That's the way to get there. Put the problem on a piece of paper and then write. Essay. It's a French word meaning to find out, Ian.
1: There's nothing better than writing a couple hundred words and then like not believing what you wrote and you're like, ah, damn it. I really tried to get that out. I really tried to convince myself of that.
0: It felt good in the PowerPoint. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> gosh, I can't get there in the words, Jim. I have to. <laughs> it's a true phenomenon, man.
1: It's really true. It's like you try to write something down that you believe. And then like halfway through, you don't believe it anymore.
0: You're like, this is a dead end road. Yeah. One other thing we're doing, Ian, based on this passion, we are transitioning from a meeting culture to a writing first culture. And similar to, we've talked about the Jeff Bezos concept of working backwards, where writing holds a company's feet to the fire and makes them think deeply about their plans and about their strategies. One of the ways we're doing this is for our meetings now, we are setting agendas. Often we are doing some pre-work and we're recording the meeting's content, conclusions, and accountabilities in Notion. So some tools can swing you one way and some tools can swing you the other. Maybe text messaging or Slack has reduced long form in the company. Well, if you introduce a tool like Notion or memos, you can reintroduce long form. And you know, different tools for different outcomes, but one of the reasons I love how Notion has been operating our business thus far is that I sometimes feel like meetings are incredibly disruptive and they're incredibly expensive. Just do the math on the people sitting around the table. And sometimes people come to meetings unprepared and they kind of talk about some stuff and then it pops like a balloon. Everybody leaves and it's like, well, what happened there? Well, we kind of talked about some stuff. It's like, well, could you write down for me exactly what happened? Because I'd like to know. Because I had to go or a bunch of people in the company had to go and I'd like to know what happened. Well, that writing is work. And that writing is an asset. And if people can't generate it, maybe nothing happened in the meeting. And that's the thinking part. And I can see this in these applications, by the way, which is a lot of people just aren't thinking about their applications, which makes sense, right? Most people that apply, they're not putting 10 out of 10 effort in. But it's the thinking part that is the hard part and the part that takes the time.
1: One of the things I noticed too is like, maybe everybody that comes to these meetings that we historically have don't need to be at the meeting. Like if you didn't write the agenda, you didn't speak at the meeting and you you don't have any action items for the meeting, maybe you shouldn't be in the meeting. The other thing that came about is when you start to transition into writing and having these agendas, it's a profoundly different meeting. Like the way that you stay on track, the way that the follow-ups happen after the meeting is really the most important part. Like, hey, we talked about this. What's going to happen
0: afterwards? Yeah. So it's been a profound shift in our business. I mean, here's where I think we're at on this journey. For us... Meetings are a great innovation. It's great talking to the team. And because meetings build morale and accountability, we started chucking a meeting at everything. And what happened is meetings sort of led to meetings. They birthed meetings. And I started to find myself in meetings where I'm like, this meeting is attached to a topic, and we're here to talk about the topic. There's a lot of topics in this business, and I could basically spend all week long in topic-based meetings. I need to know the agenda. What are we going to decide in this meeting? And the difference between we are coming to this meeting to decide on X and to do Y versus we're going to talk about this topic is often just a few minutes of someone's time, having the bravery and doing the hard work to say, this is the agenda of this meeting. This is what we're here to decide. And then writing all those things down and taking an asset from the meeting directly and deploying that asset in the business. New policy, new email, new project, new sales page. This is what we're doing as a team. I got the buy-in at the meeting. Bam. That, to me, I think is a frustration for a lot of founders. And having that clarity around agendas, writing, and even take it to the next level, if it's important enough, what Jeff Bezos does at Amazon is the six-pager meeting. If you're going to talk about a high-level strategy, why not? have a key person on the team propose the strategy in a memo. And then now you're all discussing with a common narrative the same level of research. And then the investment you've made in the meeting is going to be much more productive. And you're just going to get things done faster, all because one person sat down and did the thinking in advance.
1: I just want to throw out a little theory here, Dan. In our 20s, when we worked at the same company, we used to have to write these huge, huge memos to each other, like, Multiple pages convincing each other, this is something that we should do in the business. This is the product that we should make. This is an idea worth pursuing. They take us hours to write. And we'd write them and then we'd write back to each other. And then maybe we'd have a meeting on it if it was a good enough idea. I think what's happened in the last like 15 years is that the tools have changed. Meaning Slack... What what happened is that we got Instagram. Yeah, Exactly.
0: (laughs) and we got used to writing 140 characters uh, the boss man pulls out his quill and is like I will now propose a strategy (laughs) and now it's like yo bro (laughs) did you see what someone posted on Instagram (laughs) we should do that
1: right it's like did you see the meme with the dolphin like way more interesting than your five page email (laughs) 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 so basically man the tools have changed now it's super easy to have access to each other I can just ping you on like five different channels and get your attention real quick The problem is not the attention. The problem is I need to convince you that this idea is worth pursuing. And to do that, I have to think hard about it. And so I think that these tools messed us up, man. They really did. I think they're a great way to pass on documents, to shoot each other little cute notes, like I love you. Where are you?
0: With the you. Where are you?
1: (laughs) But they might not be the best way to communicate big ideas and move big things forward in your business.
0: 100%. All right, Ian. One of the things we talked about last week, that everyone's business is some version of a show. So if your business is feeling a little bit showy right now, like you're not sure what the next steps are, I wanted to introduce a classic business coaching exercise with a little bit of a twist. Something simple we all can do in just a few minutes, and maybe it'll give us a different view or some clarity on our business. This sort of exercise is called a bunch of different things in the business coaching circles, but I like Mike Michalowicz's framing. He calls this the queen bee role, determining your queen bee role. And we're going to do this because it's a simple way to do a more complicated thing, which we call building a zero-based accountability chart. So we're going to kind of back into the accountability chart by starting with something Mike Michalowicz calls the queen bee role. Okay, so everybody listening to this, take a mental palate cleanser, and we're going to reflect on what the queen bee role or function is in our business. This is not a person. This is a function. Every business has one. So I'm going to read a little bit about it. To quote Mike, the queen bee role is the singular most important activity in your business that delivers on your brand promise is the single most important activity that delivers on your brand promise. It is always an activity. It is always at the doing level. It is singular. You are likely doing many activities that support your promise, but this is the most important. The brand promise of your company is the commitment that you assure your customers will receive when they do business with you. This is why the QBR is at the heart of your organization. It is the most important activity influencing the survivability and thrivability of your business. Your brand promise guarantees what your customers are going to experience when they interact with your company. It is the most compelling reason why clients do business with you. What is that function? The queen bee role. Now, I know a lot of listeners out there, they're questioning some of this stuff. We're going to suspend questioning. It's part of what these exercises are all about. And we're just going to think about it, give it a chance. And we're going to define what these functions are. So say, for example, in remotefirstrecruiting.com, the key function is that we find competent people that are a great fit for your company within 30 days. And we do it at a flat rate. That is remote first recruiting's queen bee role, delivering those candidates on time. One of the examples Mike uses a lot is a minor league baseball team called the Savannah Bananas. Great team. Great brand. Great name. Great name. It's like sitting around the boardroom. You're like, guys, we're going to really want to intimidate the opposing teams. We're going to want to make things slippy out there. Everybody's like, let's go with the Wolverines. Let's go with the Eagles. Ian's in the back of the boardroom. He's like, guys, trust me. We're going bananas.
1: Not only was I in the boardroom, but I used to live in Savannah and there was a minor league team that we used to go watch the games and uh, drink 25 cent blue moons. So right. I, I'm pretty familiar with what's going on there with Savannah Bananas. And I'm pretty sure the idea now
0: these days is fun, family, and entertainment. Yeah, that's the idea is that they created a revolution in the minor league business model, which is they said the brand promises that Savannah Bananas is not baseball. It is family, fun, and entertainment. And so the key function is to change the experience of every game. And that's a little bit different than what a normal minor league baseball team would have as a brand promise. So now they're having a meeting that is the most important creative meeting of the week where they're sitting around the table and wait for it. What curveball are we going to... Gotcha, huh? Yeah. What curveball are we going to throw these families so that they can have fun and entertainment this week at the Savannah Bananas? That... Was the key function. And importantly, we're not saying marketing or sales or operations or any of this. We are asking what is the function that delivers on the brand promise? Okay. So we're doing that thought experiment, we're writing it down as founders. The next step is to assess the health of that. And typically, what our business coach would ask us is like, would you call it like yellow, red, or green? Is it healthy? And typically, When our business is feeling showy, we have some intuition as founders that this key value function is not as healthy as it ought to be. And commonly, there's a reason for that, which we're going to get to at the end. So now that we've defined the key function and the health of the function, we want to start to define what are some ways we can measure how to get that function to green. So we're trying to ask ourselves, what are some metrics that indicate That this function is, in fact, delivering the value that we expect. Now, in using the example of the Savannah Bananas, you could say it could become families who return the next week. That could be within the next month. That could be a metric. So they have a time frame. They have a customer set. If they're coming back, we know we are delivering on that family fund promise. Could be a survey on the way out. Determining metrics is a big topic, but we all can do it. Come up with a metric that you feel good about. like When I see that metric, I trust that we are delivering to a degree on the brand promise. If you look at remote-first recruiting, metrics are how many roles we're closing out within the 30-day window, what percentage. And we're looking for that percentage to be 10 out of 10, 100%. That's the brand promise. So how healthy are we? And is that metric in line with the total overall company goal? Are they correlated? So Business coaching, very long. you got to come back and pay for another session. That's how this stuff works. (laughs) We're focused right now, though, on the KPIs for that function being healthy right now. Now, the reason we do this is we're trying to get out of the idea of individuals and traditional functions. We're trying to define what it is that your company needs to deliver a healthy brand experience. And the reason this can be illuminating for founders, Ian, is that it's common... For founders to both be in charge of that brand experience and to be in charge of selling into it or building demand for that experience. So, in the example of a PPC agency, it could be the case that the founder is a great paid advertising strategist, which is effectively what delivers the value to the clients. But also, the founder is responsible for bringing in new clients. But if you're doing both functions, It's hard to be green with your queen bee role, to be healthy with your queen bee role. The concept is when you define the QBR, you build the organization around the QBR to protect it and to make sure that it's healthy. And so now you see how we're backing in to we're rebuilding an org chart. Well, what else does it need? Well, when the QBR is healthy, it can handle X amount of accounts a month. So we need X amount of accounts. There's your sales and marketing function. It needs administrative support. It can't be caught up in administration because then we can't put good paid advertising strategy to our key accounts. We need administrative support. And now you start building an organization around that key. And this can be so illuminating because so often we think about our companies in terms of people and traditional roles and not in terms of function and their health and how those functions and their health correlates to key goals that you need to make to meet your financial goals. So there you go. As you go to sessions, you build out your whole systems and you got it all on a mirror board. And these are the things we do in our coaching sessions. But I thought it would be interesting to sort of peel back and show like what one of these one, one and a half hour business coaching calls can do. By the end of it, we'd have all this QBR stuff built out. And hopefully, even if the founder doesn't do anything with it, you're given sort of a new view on what your business could be.
1: There's a process that's related to this QBR process, which is cash flow mapping. So it's like yeah.
0: figuring out where the
1: cash flow is coming from, where the cash registers are set up, and then organizing or process their... mapping.
0: Yeah, yeah, you're basically creating a visual representation of how cash moves around the key functions in your business,
1: and like what are the resources needed there. But I think one of the interesting differentiators between the Queen B role is you're digging into value creation. So if you look at like the cash flow mapping. It's just cash, right? So it doesn't necessarily articulate all of the value that's created. It's like the value that's captured in that moment. And so I think one of the more powerful things about this Queen B role is you're basically predicting and introducing this idea of value. So it's like, where is the value coming from?
0: Yeah, it's a little bit of sleight of hand to tap into your instinct as an entrepreneur. Like, we started this firm because we have the best paid advertising strategy. And that's why that first big group of clients that got us to a million dollars or whatever, that's why we're in business. And then as the business gets larger, that core function can start to degrade when people get split up in a bunch of different directions, especially the founder. And this is an exercise designed to tap you into that value like you're talking about. Like This is who we are. This is the most important thing. This is what we're running back into the house to get when the house is on fire We're going to go get that QBR, and then we can build up an organization around that. Here's another thing that often happens in small businesses that is, I think, a little underestimated. They change a lot, and that means that your team needs to change a lot. doesn't always mean that, but it often means that. And so part of the reason we do QBR and building up accountability charts and not organizational charts where we're mapping out accountabilities and roles and responsibilities, and we're not mapping out people, is because part of our role as founders of small dynamic companies is to change people's roles and functions as the business requires new things. And not being able to change those roles and functions based on the need of the company, whether it's retraining, evolving someone's role, or moving them out of the company is often where this stuff ends up. It's often what's actually holding companies back from growing. Yeah. So there you go, Ian. That's a business coaching session. And I love these exercises because the cool thing is is they're affordable. If you do the exercise correctly, you have some clear writing. You have an asset. This is what I think about that. This is what I think the QBR role is. You don't have to agree with it. You don't have to do anything about it. It doesn't cost you anything. All you got to do is sit down for a half an hour and do the exercise, and it could give you a whole new perspective on your business. This is one way breakthroughs can happen. Ian, we got a question from a listener. I thought it would be juicy for us to chew on. Here it is: Should you share your revenue with your team? Is
1: there an older question in the history of businesses? This is like a, <laughs> It's
0: the oldest question. This in the is the oldest history question of business. business. Yeah. In ancient Greece, I remember one time Romulus came to Remus. He wanted to know how many papayas were moving. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> since that time, it's been enshrined in the walls of uh, archives everywhere. How much revenue are we doing here, boss? And the question is, is, are these things useful to share? And really, what's your line in terms of the information you share with your team? And what are some common ways of thinking about this?
1: Well, first thing is, like I don't think they had masterminds in Three day retreats to Barcelona back then, you know, where like all the business owners could get together. They're like, "Hey, uh," had our key team member ask us how much we're making on these swords? Not quite (laughs) sure what to say. (laughs) Thinking they might want to start their own sword business. (laughs) He knows everything about smithing swords now. So,
0: (laughs) yeah, I'm I'm really concerned what might happen if my team finds out how much we're making on this siege equipment." It's a a hot market right now. (laughs) Yeah, so here's what I think. This revenue figure is interesting because I think there's a movement for transparency and I respect that. This concept of, hey, we're going to show up to the team every week and we're going to talk about revenue. We're going to talk about our margins. We're going to talk about these big numbers and we're going to empower the team to improve them. The problem that I've found with that is that it can be very disempowering to hear about a revenue figure. And in a lot of cases, that's simply an overshare. For me, revenue is really important. Every week, every month, every year. If you tell me your business did this revenue this month versus that revenue this month, so if you challenged me, for example, and said, okay, Dan, you made $40,000 in top line this month versus 100000 instantly I could write five to 10 implications of exactly how the business will change and what needs to happen, and where I think that happened. I would have all kinds of ideas. In other words, top-line revenue is the number that I think about. That's my number as a founder. When you share that with people who it's not their number, two things can happen. On the one hand, it goes up. People are like, oh, great. I guess I'm contributing a part of that, which isn't necessarily true. And then the other part could be like, well, it's going down. I need to fix it, but I don't know how. And so I think your job as a person who can write down five to 10 implications is to figure out which one of those belongs on that person's desk and to empower them to improve that number. If you get 25 leads this month, my job is to give you the confidence that that correlates with $100,000 months. And now if the employer raises their hand and says, hey, I'm really fascinated. What's the top line revenue of this company right now? You can share that number now. Now, at least there's a context to where if they want to know how their metrics lead to the top line metrics, to me, that makes total sense. So I think what I've seen happen and what we've done specifically is that it seems like a cool, open thing to do, to just share numbers with everybody. But we've had employees specifically who are thoughtful, raise their hands and say, hey, guys, I don't know how to affect that number. It's freaking me out. It's making me nervous. And I think it's the job of a leader to distill down the key metrics that each critical team member can track that they can control. And that's where we get to scorecards, right? You want to distill down what their metrics are, especially what their habits are. That, to me, is a simple framework for improving leadership in a company. We want to go here. Here's a habit that you can do on a weekly, daily basis that we believe, if done well, will correlate to our goals.
1: Amazon, $600 billion last year. Think something like that. Can you imagine like even being a VP there and feeling like you can impact that number? Yeah. Very daunting. So I think you're right to say, Dan, this all coalesces on the scorecard. So what are the key areas in the business that you can impact? And are you green? Are you red? Are you yellow? Are you hitting your numbers that we've defined as important to the business? And then... Somebody, of course, has to look at the $600 billion number, but it doesn't need to be everybody in the company. I think about public companies a lot. When I think about like, how much to disclose, a lot of the information they have to disclose. Mm-hmm. And most team members or employees do not show up to those meetings, which are public meetings. Basically, you can show up and learn all about the company's profitability and revenue and whatnot. Yeah. People don't show up to those. That's hilarious. <laughs> Shareholders, they show up to those because they want to know if their investment's working because that's the number that they care about. But the employees don't
0: show up. And that's exactly it. I see so much of this. is like, yeah, revenue's your number. And return on stock valuation is the investor's number. Yeah. And the question for you is, what's the team member's number? They need a number too. Like, everybody wants something that they can go up and to the right. And your job, and it's a hard job, which is why a lot of people don't do it, is to create that number and to help track that number. And if you're just showing up with your big old revenue number every month, that's a little bit lazy. That's why I think about this. I think it doesn't really matter from a transparency perspective. What it matters from a management perspective is the number empowering your team. That is the question. By the way, if I'm working for Amazon, I see the number go up. I'm I'm trying to get a meeting with Jeff asking for a raise. That's what I'm going to want. Look, man, it was 650 last quarter, 750 this quarter. Cut a little piece off for Papa. That's right. (laughs) I'm living here in Seattle. It's raining every day. I'm going to need a bump. I'm going to need a bump if I'm going to stay here.
1: I didn't ding the truck once. Come on.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Um, one of the things that I like about being a truck driver, if I had to go get a normal job. Here we go. I would like to be a truck driver or a factory line worker and not a retail employee or a service employee. You know why?
1: So you can listen to podcasts all day?
0: That's right. They can have my body, but they can't have my mind. (laughs) They can have my body, but they can't have my mind, man. (laughs) (laughs) Put me on the road.
1: (laughs) The old guy in me wants to get upset when the Amazon uh, delivery driver pulls up to my house with the stereo blasting, but I think like, man, that's exactly what I'd be doing.
0: Yeah, Yeah. dude. A little bit of Iron Maiden. Hell yeah. Just, Just get the good grooves, get the good vibes going. That's right. Well, I love it. Here's my takeaway from the episode Ian is we are moving from a meeting first company to a writing first company. We talk about writing down that QBR, writing down those goals, and writing down those scorecards. Like these things all too can exist in Notion or some sort of GDocs dashboard that the whole team can have access to. You know, I just think about the situation where we're often just three or four sentences away from the outcomes we want. And it might take many, many hours of reflection and essaying and writing to get to those three or four sentences, but trust that process. Eventually, you will arrive on what you think in the world. It will be clear to others, and that's what gets other people on board, persuaded, motivated, get the job, get the date, and that, to me, is the theme of today's episode.
1: More writing, less talking.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The Tropical MBA podcast is going to just turn into the Tropical MBA long-form email. That's right. If you didn't take notes on this podcast, you're not doing your job. (laughs) Taking notes is overrated, I actually think. This is a whole different thing. Whole different topic. (laughs) Cool. That's it. We'll see you next week. See you then.